welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're beginning a sermon series called Wait and See, and today we're going to be talking about waiting with Jesus. Mostly I'm going to be in the Gospel of John, but there are a few other passages that we'll look at as we move through Scripture. Um, but uh, as, as we're waiting with Jesus, I got to thinking about um, <clears throat> my life here at Sterling Foursquare. And before we had our, our mission, you know, uh, we exist to bring hope to the broken, uh, live lives that thrive, equipping believers, launching leaders. Before all of that was in place, uh, I was uh, in a place where I was asking uh, a question and um, was uh, desiring... Uh, simply to have the question, what would fulfill me? That was the beginning point of uh, the equipping hub, if you will. I simply was looking for a way to be more engaged, to have more things happen, to be more useful. And so I asked that question prayerfully before God, and I began to dream. And he placed a vision on my heart uh, that grew. I worked to, to flesh it out, to uh, build a picture of what it would look like, and I shared it with Pastor Ben. And he said, oh, this is well and good, um, but I need more detail. So I went back and I did even more research, even more work. I looked at different four-square churches and how they do discipling and their processes and those kinds of things and fleshed it out some more. And then I gave it to Pastor Ben, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And it seemed like nothing was happening, and so I simply gave that to God and then just kind of moved on with other pieces of, of my life. But as I look back now, I can see that, that I was in a transition place, that I was neither fish nor fowl, as it were, uh, that, that I was hanging on to my uh, former relationships uh, in ministry uh, with uh, Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And even though I began to take steps in moving into licensing process with Foursquare, I, I was at that place where I was in the middle. And I began to recognize that I was still hanging on back here. And even though I was reaching out over here, I, I was stuck because I couldn't move. If you've ever tried to step into a boat that's not tied up at the dock, and you get one foot in and the boat starts to move, and and, and pretty soon you, you realize you've got to be one place or the other. You can't be both. And, and that, was, that was where I was at. And, and so I um, took that step, even though I was hesitant, even though I was struggling with some things, I decided that I needed to let go of the former things in order to move into the things uh, that God might have for me. And when I did that, when I took that step, when I let go, when I was able to face forward and move, that's when opportunities opened up uh, and we began to have in place uh, the equipping, hug, equipping hub. Waiting is difficult. I don't like waiting. I'm not patient. You can ask my wife and she'll tell you. Uh, I want to be doing things. And yet waiting is significant for us. Uh, this season of winter that we're in, as, uh, as we're looking around, you know, it, it looks dead and barren. Uh, the trees have lost their leaves. Uh, and it just reminds us that there is this season that just doesn't look good. Everywhere we look, uh, it, it just doesn't look filled with life. It looks dead and barren. And yet, if you look closely at the trees and the bushes and the shrubs, you'll see that the leaf buds are already present, that they're already there. 
that they're waiting for the right season to open up and blossom into new life. And, and that's what waiting uh, does uh, for us. It's in the season of waiting uh, that we grow, that we develop, that our Father pours into us. Do you realize that even Jesus had to wait? Yeah, Jesus had to wait. Uh, he spent uh, the first 30 years of his life waiting for his ministry to begin. Uh, from his birth to the beginning of his ministry was about 30 years. And so he was in that waiting mode. Not wasted space, but waiting. And even when his ministry began, the first thing he did was go into the wilderness for 40 days to be alone with the Spirit, uh, where he was tempted. And even when his ministry started, it was three years that he had to wait in order to get to the place of the culmination where uh, the salvation and the fulfillment of it would take place. When we are waiting with Jesus, he shapes us, he grounds us, he refines us, he empowers us. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John chapter 12, starting at verse 20. And the context of this uh, chapter is in the triumphal entry of of. Jesus into Jerusalem. In the previous chapter, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus got sick, died. He was in the grave four days. Jesus arrived, raises him from the dead, and everyone is amazed, and the whole town of Jerusalem is abuzz with that event, and they're talking about it, and the word of mouth is spreading, and it is on a swell, and Jesus comes to Jerusalem riding on that donkey and makes his triumphal entry, proclaiming himself as king, being received and acclaimed by the crowd. Uh, and it is in this context that we have uh, the story that we want to look at. Uh, this story represents the closing bookend. Uh, if you go to Matthew chapter 2, you hear and read the story of the Magi, the wise men from the east who came seeking Jesus at the time of his birth. And here in the Gospel of John at chapter 12, verse 20 following, we see men from the West who come seeking Jesus to worship at the time of his death. And so there is a, a parenthetical closure of his ministry in those uh, two acts. And so these Greeks come seeking Jesus. I want to pray for the Bible. I ask that you would get your Bible out and hold it up. Uh, maybe your, your Bible is on your phone or some other electronic device, but if you'd get that and hold it up, let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word that gives life. We thank you for Jesus who is that word who lives in us. And we ask, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning through your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at the Gospel of John at chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, is our primary text. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father 
will honor him. And so we're waiting with Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus uh, reminds us by his example is that we need to stay focused on the mission. These uh, Greeks came seeking Jesus. And they found Philip. And it's interesting that Philip is a Greek name. It's not Hebrew origin, but Greek. And so maybe they felt comfortable because they had that name in their native language, that they would come to him. Uh, also, uh, Philip is from Bethsaida in Galilee. And Galilee is closely associated with Gentile people. The Decapolis is up in that area. Uh, Philip formerly was a business person, so uh, maybe they had acquaintance with his and his work and had some connection with him. But anyway, they came to Philip, and Philip goes to Andrew, and they go to Jesus. Now, these are uh, Greek people. Uh, they're not Jewish, but they're Greek. Uh, their native language is Greek. They came to worship, which means that they were converts to Judaism. Uh, we don't know if they were simply God-fearing Gentiles who associated with the synagogue and hadn't fully converted, or if they had been fully converted to the Jewish faith, but they came seeking Jesus. They were probably from the Decapolis, which is uh, 10 Gentile cities in the area of Galilee. And certainly they were curious. They saw all these events that were being talked about, but they also brought a proposal uh, to Jesus. And perhaps their proposal was along these lines, that they were offering Jesus a teaching, preaching position at the synagogue they were a part of, or they were offering a teaching position at their academy. Now, there's, there's some evidence that we can look for that. In uh, verse 23 of chapter 12, it says that Jesus answered them. So we know that they asked a question. And then Jesus goes on to give a specific answer. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So whatever it is that they asked, it was something that would divert Jesus from Jerusalem to someplace else uh, that would cause him to move away from what he was doing. But he was saying that he was here in this place, in this town, at this time to be glorified and that his glorification was going to be his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, if you thought that the temptations that Jesus faced were only in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry and that the rest of his ministry was temptation-free, you haven't read the Gospels very clearly because there were moments all through his ministry in which Jesus faced temptation. When Jesus fed the 5,000 and gave them bread from, uh, and fish from a little boy's lunch, their immediate response was, hey, this is great, let's make him king. And they tried to do that by force. And Jesus moved away from that. And here, it's the temptation to change location to avoid the cross. That if, if you'll go with us to this other place, we can set you up as a great teacher, a great preacher, and you'll have a venue where you can continue your ministry of teaching and preaching. And Jesus had to say no to that. See, Jesus stayed focused on his mission. He was a great teacher, certainly. So we read through the Gospels, we, we have a, a wonderful understanding of, of how great a teacher he was, but yet teaching is only one dimension of his ministry, only one dimension of his big why, the big why that he came. He came to be the savior of the world, not the teacher of the world, but the savior of the world. And so he saw this moment, uh, this 
sacrifice that he was making as his time of glorification, the culmination of his ministry, the fulfillment of his great purpose, the only possible way to save humanity and to restore humanity. And so saying no and yes is important. He was able to say no to this opportunity, and he was able to say yes to his great purpose. And for us, it's the same. We have to say no to the good so that we can say yes to what's best. When the equipping classes began, uh, I was the teacher. And I enjoyed that. It, it was really cool to be the teacher for the square classes. And so I taught square one, and we did that several times. And then I taught square two, and we did that one a couple of times. And then I taught square three. And, and then eventually I was able to teach square four as we had people moving through the process. But it came to a place where I couldn't keep doing that. There was no way that I could teach all the classes all the time by myself. It was impossible. If you look at, at the way that we offer classes, square one and square three are offered in the same time slot, and square two and square four are offered in the same time slot. I can't be in two places at the same time, so there was no way that I could do all of that. And so I came to a place where I had to deny myself. I had to say no to myself. I had to say this is not healthy for me or for uh, the church. And so by stepping back and creating space for other people to become the teachers of those various classes, we began to grow and develop and offer opportunities for people uh, to be a part of it. I had to hand off my baby to other people and the reality was that they made it better in the way that they did it with the gifts and the abilities that they had in place. And so it's important to say no in order to say yes to the best. Do you know what your purpose is? If you don't know what your purpose is, then you can't stay focused on your mission. But if you do know your purpose then you can use that as a way to discern what's good and what's best and make choices that lead you towards the best. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. I know and I believe because God is present that you have a purpose that he has created you and designed you with a purpose, and that there are things that he intends you to walk into. And it's our heart, our purpose, our desire to help you to discover what that is and to begin to move into it. And, and that's what the equipping hub is about, the way that we go around and do that. You have a God-given purpose, and if you discover what that is, it will help you make decisions between what's good and what's best. Multiplication is something that Jesus is always concerned about. In verse 24, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, a seed alone is only potential. It's only possibility. But alone, it's lonely, isolated, and barren. It's only when a seed is planted that its purpose is fulfilled. But to be planted means that the seed dies as a seed and becomes a living plant uh, that grows and matures and produces a multiplied harvest of fruit. And, and so Jesus gives those exhortations to us that are counterintuitive. 
they, they run counter to the way that we think they ought to. And so he says this in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The greater risk is trying to protect and preserve your life by yourself. You see, if that's what you're after, ultimately you'll lose out because that's not the way things work, the way God has designed things. If you will risk your life spending it with Jesus, doing the things that are the best with him, then you will discover that even though some things are said no to, other things come that are great and powerful and possible, and Jesus is at work in us. If we choose to serve Jesus... Will follow him even to the cross. In verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus often said, Take up your cross and follow me. What, what a strange saying. But we have to be willing to say no to ourselves in order to say yes to the things of Jesus. We must follow Jesus, even to the difficult places. And Jesus invites us to join him in all aspects of his life and ministry even in the difficult places. In verse 26, he says, Where I am, there will my servant be also. That we're invited to join Jesus even at the place of difficulty and suffering. If we serve with Jesus, the Father will bestow honor upon us. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so we need to trust that the Spirit is at work within us. In the Gospel of Mark, at chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, is a, a story that Jesus told. Uh, this story is only found in Mark. It's unique to him. But Mark writes for us, The kingdom of God is, a, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The way, of, the way seeds grow is a mystery. Yes, I'll admit we know much about it today because we've studied things and delved into it. But even with all the things that we know, there's still mystery present uh, in the process. We put seeds in the ground. And it doesn't matter how we orient them under the ground. The, the roots always go down and the shoots always go up. Invariably. It doesn't matter how it's laid there. The roots go down, the shoots go up. Uh, and with time... The seed becomes a plant that grows, matures, and produces a harvest. And so we need to keep that in mind. That's what Jesus is talking about, that when we're waiting with Jesus, there's a process that's taking place within us, and that God is always at work within us, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, even when it seems as if we're in darkness and alone. Even when it seems as if we are lifeless, God continues to be at work within us. And God is refining us in that process. God uses affliction to refine us. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. When trouble, affliction, difficulty comes to us, the first place our mind and hearts wants to go is that we're being punished by God. 
But the reality is that God is refining us, that God wants to make us better, that God wants to remove from us impurities, and he wants to bring out of us the best. And affliction is one of his tools to do that. He does it because he loves us, because he wants the best for us. Jeremiah 9, 7 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of, of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them, for what else can I do because of my people? Testing is a means by which God refines us. It's not until we come to that moment of choice that we begin to learn what's really in our heart how we decide, what choices we make, how we live. Those moments of testing give us evidence of what God is doing in us, and they are important for us as they refine us, as we learn to make the best choices. Even in our failings, God is refining us. Daniel 11.35, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So when we fail, when we fall, when we stumble, when we make mistakes, those are not the end of the world. That's just a way that God reminds us that there's more for us to work on and that these are the specific areas that he wants to refine, that he wants to remove from us. And so we have a better idea of, of how to move forward uh, with the Spirit. And so even our failings are used by God to refine us. This refinement brings us closer to the Father. Zechariah 13.9 says, And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. When you go through difficulties and challenges and testings and even failings and get back up, you discover that there is a closeness with the Father, that you are relying on Him, that you're able to say, the Lord is my God, and, and know it for yourself, and that His response is that you are His people. Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3, talks about the outcome of refinement is the offering of thanksgiving. But who can endure the day of His coming, and who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And so we, we are able to give praise and thanks to God through this process of refinement. And Peter, at 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, talks about this refining fire that produces genuine faith. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trust the Father as he is at work in us, refining us. And then we want to move to Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Paul talks about the fact that gaining Jesus is everything, that the outcome of this waiting with Jesus is that we have something that is very precious that is given to us. 
Paul writes there starting at verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul notes and expresses that he counts everything as loss in order to gain the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, Paul, if you go back to the beginning of that third chapter, you'll see that Paul lays out for his readers all the things that he could boast about of his Jewish heritage, uh, of, of his tribe, of his uh, pharisaical understanding of his righteousness, of his obedience, all those things that he could claim and be proud of and boast in. And yet he says those are actually placed on the garbage heap because they are meaningless. And what's important is gaining and knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To be found in Christ is to be united with him is to be a part of him, to share in his purpose, to share in his work and ministry, uh, to be united with Christ, is, is to have uh, unity with him. Knowing Jesus is about intimacy with him, uh, of having that one-on-one -on -one time with him, uh, to know him, to be intimate with him, to be in relationship with him. And it all comes from being able to say no to good things in order to say yes to the best things. And to live with Christ is to live in resurrection power with Jesus. To let his resurrection power move through our life. And it begins by saying no to temporal things. And it starts with saying yes to the work and the ministry of Jesus. So while we're waiting with Jesus, we need to stay focused on the mission we need to trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, and we need to recognize that we're gaining Jesus, and that's everything. I invite you to stand as you're able. Worship team, if you'd join me on the platform. What would your life uh, be like if you embraced God's purpose? If you allowed that purpose to guide your decisions, to help you discern between the good and the best? What would your life be like if you uh, embraced the work of God in your life? To recognize that through affliction, series, uh, seasons of testing, even our stumblings and failings, that God is at work, that God is refining, that God is drawing you closer, that God is at work in the midst of your heart. What would it be like if you were recognizing that God is drawing you closer into intimacy, that you're letting go of some things in, in order to embrace better things? that you're gaining unity with Jesus, 
that you're gaining intimacy with Jesus, that you're living in resurrection power, what would your life look like? And what would our life look like together as a congregation if we stayed focused on our mission? If we allowed the Spirit to be at work within us as a people, that we could recognize that we were gaining Christ and expressing His power through our life together. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that your Spirit is always at work within us, that in this season of waiting that you are at work and that you are helping us discern between the good and the best and that you're leading us into making choices about that. Father, I ask that you would bless us, that you would continue to be at work in us and that you would lead us into expressions of faith and unity and intimacy with Jesus Christ, that we might live in his resurrection power. Thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got some action steps for you this week. While you're praying, ask the Father to show you one thing that's holding you back from a deeper relationship with Jesus. And then lay that down at the feet of Jesus in prayer. And then invite the Holy Spirit to move into your void, filling it with grace.